You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Can you recall a defining moment in your life? A defining moment. Maybe it was a big moment, a big event, a turning point in your career or in your personal life. Maybe it was a huge decision that you made. But whatever it was, it changed everything. It changed everything. Turn to your neighbor and say, it changed me, man. And maybe, you guys, some, maybe some of you guys had a defining moment, but you guys really don't realize the significance of it until... Maybe later on, and you'll kind of make sense of these things, and you'll realize, wow, so that's what really happened, that's what really meant, and that's how it's impacted my life currently. And see, in the life of Jacob, Bethel was that defining moment for him. Bethel. Now remember, he was running away from his brother Esau, and so he spent a night there using a stone as a pillow. And it was there that God revealed himself to Jacob in such a way that just changed his life. It wrecked him forever. It redefined his entire purpose, his entire life. And from that point, everything that occurred in Jacob's life would always just be a reference. It would reference itself back to Bethel. And so in our passage today, we find Jacob returning back to Bethel. And because of his return, we begin to see how his life soon starts to make sense again. Because he was so lost. He was doing things that he shouldn't have done. But it's starting to make sense. And, and so I believe that as we look into Jacob's life and really see this turning point in his life, that God will equally, I think, reveal to us the defining moments in ours. So I have a few points I want to make that I believe the Lord wants to address today. The first is this. God doesn't forget. So turn to your neighbor and say, God doesn't forget. Turn to your neighbor and say, God doesn't, didn't forget what you did yesterday. Now, um, I traveled across many countries, and in my backpacking stint, I crossed over 26 countries, and actually over 35 if you consider my entire lifetime. And I'm fairly sure I've had many, many, many big, memorable moments throughout my travel, like the time, and I was talking to James the other day about it, but the time I got robbed by gypsies in Paris, that was fun, right? Or the time I was able to watch the sunset over the temple of Angkor Wat in Cambodia, most known for its setting for the movie Tomb Raider. I also remember the beauty of the Taj Mahal and the fact that an hour later, I got dysentery, right? All very memorable. I mean, you can't really forget this. So I, had, so I had a lot of memories, and I thought I remembered all the important ones. I remembered all the ones that were, you know, worthy of remembering. And that is until I went through my photo log, because I, I have a folder in my hard drive, and I looked at all the pictures from every country. And the moments I thought I would never forget, I had actually forgotten The experiences I thought I would treasure forever, again, I had forgotten. And so we forget. And it doesn't really matter how special or crazy the event may have been, because in a few weeks, in a few months, maybe in a few years, when everything goes back to normal, we seldom think about it anymore. But this is important here. You may forget it, no matter how crazy the moment was for you, no matter how pivotal or turning point it was in your life, but God, he will never forget. He'll never forget. You see, we may have forgotten the defining moments in our lives, and maybe it was a huge turning point in your spiritual life. It was a moment that God's words really leapt out to you for the first time. 
It just, he just really penetrated your heart. Maybe it was the time, the moment that you just broke down. It broke down and you were crying and there was just so much. You were praying and you were repenting with such earnestness and fervency. It was a moment that you know, because I know that moment for me as well. And sadly, sometimes we forget those pivotal moments, but not God. And so it was here that God, he explained something to Jacob. And that something was Jacob's turning point, and God was remembering it for him. God was remembering Bethel for Jacob, because it was there that forever changed the course of his life. Now, broken promises are always hard on people, right? Children get hurt from parents, failure to keep promises. Wives get hurt when their husbands forget to plan for the anniversary. Friends get hurt when their BFF cancels on their dinner arrangement. And so what happens when we get hit with broken promises, we get a little bit bitter, don't we? We get a little angry, maybe a lot angry. But here we have God, and he does not forget his promises that he made to Jacob. So back at Bethel, in chapter 28, the Lord said to Jacob, Jacob, I am with you. I am with you, and I will watch you over wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And here in verse 3, Jacob acknowledges that God indeed didn't forget. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to God who answers me in the day of my distress and happen with me wherever I have gone. You see, God, he promised to bring Jacob back to Bethel. And how was Jacob's journey since his return? Well, remember, it's been about 30 years since he's come back. So it's been a pretty long time. And what did Jacob experience during those 30 years? How, was he a good boy? Did he do a lot of good things? Huh? No. He wandered away from the Lord. He grew more intimate with the world than with God. In fact, we learned last week that Jacob was in a pretty big mess. His sons annihilated an entire city of men. And then he, they enslaved their wives and their children. Jacob was pretty much headhunted by the neighboring countries, neighboring surrounding areas. He made a lot of poor decisions during this time. He made a lot of foolish decisions. He had a lot of ungodly seasons in his life. He disobeyed God. He was stubborn. He was a bad guy. He did everything he could have possibly done to make God hate him. He did everything he possibly could have to make God not love him, to receive condemnation and judgment. But God says, you know what? I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you because though you may have forgotten everything about what I was going to do, though you may have forgotten all my promises, I haven't. And so our sovereign God, he doesn't forget his promises. But get this, he also does not forget yours. And here God, he doesn't forget the promises Jacob made to, go, made to the Lord. You see, back at Bethel, Jacob, he promised to do a lot of great things if the Lord would take care of him. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, and will watch over me in this journey that I'm taking, and he will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I can return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all of you, all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So here's the thing about us and our promises. We like to break them, don't we? Right? We like to make excuses, and for Jacob, those promises he made were made a long, long time ago. And we all know things change, life changes, time changes. And so though we may not fully follow through with these promises, we make shortcuts. Have you guys ever made a promise to God? I want you to raise your hand right now. Don't you dare lie to me. You all made a promise to God. God, 
especially on like New Year's Day, right? God, I promise I will be a better Christian. What does that even mean? Right? God, I will read, I will read all throughout the Bible, even in the Greek and the Hebrew. God, I will do, I'll do all these things. We make these promises to God. And for instance, again, to read the Bible. And so for the first few days, you guys are gung-ho about it. You, are, you have your journal, and you never journal, right? You even bought, like, awesome ballpoint pens. In fact, you may even went and bought a, purchased a brand-new Bible. You're like, this is my baby now, and I'm going to really do this. I'm going to read this. I'm so excited. You're crazy excited. You got your highlighters ready. You got your commentary ready and all that stuff. And maybe a few weeks into it, you start kind of waning down. And as soon your Bible intake really becomes a one-minute Bible app devotion that you complete while sitting on the toilet, right? Or how about our promise to commit to the church? You know, we get super excited to get involved, to be part of this life group and, and the church community. We start serving, we, and then what happens after some time? Work takes us away a little bit. We realize during the summer and fall months, our summer weddings start coming up and all these Plans and vacations or friends start filling up our weekly schedule. And so our commitment and involvement begins to kind of fizzle out until it becomes maybe once in a while we attend church. Once in a while we attend this fellowship and life group. But we tell ourselves, hey, that's life. Life changes. Things change. Time will change. I can't always be as devoted as I was before. People get married. Babies come out. Work also has more responsibilities and demands. Things change. So we think what we do is good enough, is close enough. And sadly, that's what Jacob thought too. He thought, well, at least I returned to the land of Canaan. What God is saying, go to D.C. and you just come to America. Like, that's what's happening here. And he goes, you know, I'm pretty much close to Bethel. Being close wasn't the same. Jacob, he had chosen to stay in this really nice area called Shechem. It was fertile. It was prosperous. A lot of opportunity for him to just really succeed financially and really according to the ways of the world instead of living in the rocky hills of Bethel. And even though Jacob may have intentionally or unintentionally forgotten the promises he made to God, God, he didn't forget those promises. And he doesn't forget the promises that we make to him either. So what do we have here in verse 1? We find God reminding and commanding Jacob to return to Bethel. And this is important to remember because it really shows us who's leading Jacob's life. Because you see, despite the crisis Jacob faced in Shechem, Jacob, he still didn't honor his promise to God. He still remained in Shechem. That's how attached he was. You know? Just imagine... You destroyed a city. They all want to kill you. Would you remain in that same place? And that's how, that's how drawn he was. That's how much he plant, allowed his roots to get planted in that place. He remained in Shechem. But you see, God, when God makes a promise, when God has a will, when God's good grace is in your life, he will not quit and he will not allow you to remain in sin. He will not allow you to remain just as you are. So God, he remembered what Jacob seemed to have forgotten. And Jacob, he says to him, verse 3, go up to Bethel. I'm not going to let you stay. I'm not going to let you remain. I'm not going to let you do this and just kind of fizzle out. No, go. I want you to go. So hear me out, folks. This is the way it always is. The first step in our spiritual renewal, it begins with God. 
It begins with God's initiative because without God starting it up, we would forever remain distant and cold. And like Jacob, we would always just be on the run. See, get this for a second. Do you see if God did not intervene in Jacob's life, what do you think this great patriarch of ours would be? He'd be further into the world, would he not? He was already just, he was already so intimate with, with the world there. He'd be further into sin, further into disobedience and doing what he wanted. Jacob would always just simply be on the run if it weren't for God. And the thing is, when God intervenes in our lives, I want you to get this. When God intervenes in our lives, at that time when he intervenes, it may seem like an irritation. It may disrupt your life, but pardon God's disruption. Because when God messes up your life, it's to bring order out of chaos. It's to bring freedom from your bondage. It's to bring life from your darkness. It's to bring purpose from your hopelessness. When God interrupts you, it is a good thing. God will disrupt your life. He will because that's what God's grace does. That's what God's grace does. And what God's grace does and in his grace, he will never let you forget who he is to you. And he will never let you forget who you are to him. And so like I mentioned before, God, he doesn't forget his promises. And he doesn't forget the promises we made to him either, which leads me to my second point. My second point is this. We need to return to the Lord. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to return. So <clears throat> when we think in terms of progress, we think of moving forward, right? A few months ago, I actually hurt my elbow. I pulled a tendon from walking my dog. <laughs> he was pulling because I'm a horrible owner, okay. Um, I pulled a tendon, and it's, it's commonly known as golfer's elbow. <clears throat> Different from tennis elbow in that mine was hurting from the inside, whereas tennis elbow hurts from the outside, says Dr. Google. Anyways, I knew I need to rest, okay, so I did, but I also looked up some ways to kind of expedite the healing and to maybe stretch it out, find some good ways to stretch to incorporate and all that stuff. And so I went up and I found some uh, fitness discussion forums that you can actually do some live chat. So I posted up, how do I relieve golfer's elbow, no any good stretches or workouts? Then someone responded and said, you just need time. Try to open your palm and stretch this way and do that. And then he finished his comment by saying, and bro, why do they always say bro? And bro, don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. Never look back and always keep pushing. And so I responded, thank you, kind stranger. But then I also asked, added, uh, by the way, no one's telling me I can't do it, but thanks for your encouragement. <laughs> so he responded, there will always be people in your life who will keep you down. Don't listen to them. Just keep moving. Now here's the thing. I've heard a lot of fitness people or bodybuilders or whatever talk like this, and I never really fully understood it. So I said, Look, friend, there's literally no one in my life telling me I can't do it. And I said, dot, 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 do you need to talk? <laughs> and so he responded, and he said, you can do it. Just don't look back. And I'm thinking, was I talking to a robot or something? This is like, this is so unreal, right? 
You can... So here's the, here's the thing. That, that guy's thoughts are pretty much what a lot of people think, too. You want to progress? Just move forward. Just move forward. Don't look back. Forget what's behind. Invest in your today and tomorrow. And it sounds all very uppity and nice. And, and, and look, here, I get it. I'm mocking whatever, but I get the motivation behind it. Here's the thing. Sometimes we can't move forward without first going back. And so I think of the parable of the prodigal son. You guys know it too. I'll say the story goes like this. After leaving his father's house, he squanders his inheritance by living really the high life. He squanders on gambling, partying, prostitutes, you name it. And from that point, his life only went downhill. And further he forward he traveled, the deeper, the lower he sank until he hit rock bottom. And then it was at that bottom he finally admitted to himself, I have to return to my father. Now that's where we find Jacob here in this chapter. He's living in Shechem. He's prosperous. Yeah, he's successful. Yes, in many ways. But what happened to his daughter? She just got raped. So in his sons in retaliation slaughtered and plundered the whole town in revenge. And so this one man, Jacob, and his entire family had become, like the Bible said, a stench to all the surrounding nations. So things were not looking too good for Jacob. He was in his pigsty, if you will. So what do you do? He knew something had to be done. So according to verse 2, he called his family to get rid of their foreign gods and to purify themselves. Now, this had come up a long time ago. And this is a passage I deliberately skipped. But this, passage, this reference had come up when Jacob's favorite wife, who was she? Rachel. She stole the household gods from her father Laban. And when Jacob found out about what, was he irate? Was like, how dare you bring this into our household? How dare you bring this demonic thing? No, no, he was like, all right. He kind of let it go. And so this problem only worsened during their 10 years at Shechem. And the thing about idolatry is this, that even, even though it's nothing but wood and stone, idolatry tends to breed into more idolatry. And so now in Jacob's camp, Surrounding his entire household, really, there were just so many strange gods. And there were apparently, the people were wearing earrings, which has something to do with the pagan cultic practices back then. And get, so Jacob, he said, you know what, we got to stop this. So he gathered up all the pagan paraphernalia, and he buried it. So what's the point? You see, returning to God, folks, hear me out, wasn't just moving from Shechem to Bethel. It's not you in this life moving from here to there. That's what you need. It's not about getting from that job to that job or anything geographical. No, returning to God, okay, according to this verse here, is about repentance. Repentance. It's a change of heart that is then reflected, what, in a change of practice. And so we get that repentance from the example given to us in Psalms 24 of this a specific experience. Let me read. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. 
So how do we return to the Lord? And maybe right now, you've been so far removed from him. If I were to counsel you and talk to you and have dinner with you and say, what's going on? What do you need? A lot of you would probably say, I need to get back to the Lord. I need to get back to prayer. I need to get back to the word. I need to get back to the church community. You know what that all equals up to? That you're distant from God. I need to get back to the Lord. And how do we return? It begins with getting rid of the sin that has kept us away. Don't you know how easily distracted we are? You're not going to hear from the word of the Lord that everything is fine and, and that being with God will be easy. Instead, you'll hear the voice of God calling you to repent. And he's saying it now. He's saying confess. You'll hear the Lord in his word that you are distracted and that you're bombarded with sin and idols. And until you turn away from those sins, then you cannot move forward with the Lord. You hear me? Until we hate what God hates. Our lives and our homes, it cannot be renewed in the way that God wants. It cannot be renewed. If you want to grow in your spiritual disciplines of, let's say, scripture study or having a deepening prayer life or having a growing fellowship with the people right next to you, if you want to start these new practices that will help you and aid you and guide you along your walk with Christ, then returning to the Lord will mean what? Abandoning your old practices. You want new practices? Good. Then abandon your old practices. Your old practices of disobedience. Your old practice of rebelliousness. Your old practices of worldliness. Who is your God? What do you want? A diligent man can't practice laziness. A patient man cannot practice anger. And so a faithful man cannot practice sin. And so we have Jacob, and he went to Bethel where he worshipped. He goes to Bethel, praise God, and he worshipped. And we see this in verse 3. Let's arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make, may make there an altar. But then again, we know this again in verse 6-7. Jacob came to lose, and there he built an altar. And the third time in verse 14, Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him. Now there's a point here. Do you see it? The return to Bethel was not about, you know what, there is my kind of new chapter in life. There is my greater opportunity for business. There is my opportunity for a fresh start. There is my opportunity for a better school for my children. It's not about, oh, I need to do this. I need to go there so I can get something else from God. You know why he went to Bethel? You know why God led him to Bethel? You know why he had to be removed from Shechem? It was all about worship. Worship. Jacob and his entire family moved so they could worship and properly worship the Lord. They moved to build an altar. They moved so they could pray. They moved so they could make offerings. They moved so they can honor the Lord who has kept his promises. So the question of returning to the Lord can be answered simply this way. How's your worship today? How's your worship today? Today's worship, today's service, it has nothing to do with you or with me. It should have nothing to do with getting something from God. It should have nothing to do with coming here to seek after his blessing because we got a new job or that we want a new job or we got a new home or we want a new home or that we got a baby or we want a new baby because worship is, is a giving to God what already is his. What already is his. 
When we worship, this moment should be the opposite of seeking something for ourselves because worship, and folks, I want you to hear me real good right now. Worship is the giving away of ourselves. You get that? It's not about me. It's about giving away yourself. It's the giving of our time. It's the giving of our minds, of our hearts, of our praise, of our goods, of our affections, of our everything to God because all things are his. Say that, all things are his. Now I have a third point, and it's something that maybe you might expect and something that actually maybe you don't expect because I know that Jacob, he didn't really expect this either. But the third point is this. God, he lavishes his blessing on the faithful. He lavishes his blessing on the faithful. Now, there's no question that the reason why Jacob returned to Bethel was all of God. And so Jacob, he certainly didn't do anything to earn God's favor. It was God who remembered Jacob and turned his heart back to Bethel. So I want to make that clear. With that said, let me say this. God has blessed Jacob beyond measure when he trusted and obeyed. What were those blessings? First is this we see that God gave him the blessing of protection. Now remember, Jacob was scared that everyone was hunting him and for what his sons had done. And so after God called Jacob to pack up and to go leave to head to Bethel, there was definitely the possibility of him getting attacked, right? The path was treacherous. There were enemies from left and right. But instead we read in verse 5, they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Now, folks, has there ever been a time in your life where you failed to obey God because of what might happen? I know I have. We might say, God, I might go bankrupt if I were to obey that. What will people think of me if I follow you in that? Or God, I'll lose my job, I'll lose my family, maybe I'll tarnish my reputation if I obey you in that. And the reality is this, yeah, you might. You might. Because we know that the people of God often suffer for their faithfulness to God. But what we also know is that no matter what happens, even if you lose your job, even if tragedy strikes your household, even if all these calamities occur, that God's blessing is this, He is with us. He is with us. He will not leave us. And his love for us is still great. And the reality is, yeah, the blessing is, of protection is there. But the greatest blessing, I would say, and this is where it really culminates, is how God renews his covenant with Jacob. Look at verses 11 and 12. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. God, he repeats the covenant he had given to Abraham and Isaac, and then God, he passes that promise on to Jacob. It was a promise of becoming a great nation, a promise to possess the whole land of the whole earth, and it was a promise that through his seed, the whole world would be blessed. And all those promises were not just placed upon Jacob. It was placed upon what? You too. You too. This was almost 4,000 years ago, halfway across the world. And you might be thinking, how does this make sense? How is this relevant to me? You see, these promises are to you too. 
Hear me out. Every promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob applies to us. Because the God who created the heavens and the earth ties himself to one family and all the blessing of knowing God and belonging to him. In other words, if you know God, that means you've inherited what was passed down from Jacob and his family. And so what is that inheritance? You see, it's more than just a mighty name for the Israelites. No, God's plan was bigger than that. It wasn't just to reclaim that promised land of Canaan, the nice fertile area. No, you see, God's plan was bigger than that. It wasn't just to use God's chosen people, the Jews, to serve him. No, you see, God's plan was bigger than that. And some of you guys are thinking, God, maybe my job is to make some money, to have a family, and just kind of just help out and be charitable and do good things here and there. No, no, no. You see, God's plan is bigger than that. Maybe, maybe I'll just give my two cents and, and be done with it. God's plan is bigger than that. Maybe I'll just give a little bit of who I am to the ministry and to the people around me, to my work. No, God's plan is bigger than that. Maybe I'll just strive to have a great academic life and, and to pursue a great professional life. God's, God's plan is bigger than that. So what was God's promise that we inherit? You see, in the Bible, God explains that one person who would be a blessing to the world, who would be the promised seed, and that was Jesus Christ. Jesus was the physical descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. Jesus was the Son of God who come in human flesh as the Messiah, God's anointed one. Jesus pleased God perfectly, unlike Jacob, unlike his father, unlike his grandfather, or anyone else for that matter. And Jesus did what no one else could do or ever claimed to do. He was able to pay the penalty for his people's sins by dying on the cross. He rose from the dead to inherit all the blessings promised to Jacob at Bethel. And now our Lord Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God, giving those blessings, the gift of salvation, of mercy and grace to whomever he pleases. So you see, what God promised Jacob that day, you and I have it in Christ. Maybe you're disappointed. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I was hoping he'd give me a million bucks because I could really use a couple dollars right now. Oh, I'd rather have a big house. I'd rather have a nice reputation and an easy, comfortable life. But you know what? I'd rather have Jesus. Because in Jesus, I have hope in this life, no matter how bleak it might get. And we know money money's not going to save you. I'd rather have Jesus because in Jesus, though I may not have much right now, in Jesus, guess what? I'll inherit the whole world. Why would I have Jesus? Because in him, I get the forgiveness of my sins and I get to spend an eternity with the lover of my soul. God will never forget his promises to you. Nor will he forget the promises you made to him. But he will lead you and he will disrupt your life. He will disrupt your life so that you can return back to him. But praise God that those who repent, those who surrender to the sweet call of his grace, for those who empty themselves and say, God, yes, not my will but yours. To those who say, God, I accept and I submit myself to the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. You see, God, he will pour out. He will lavish upon you. He will heap his abundant blessing into your life. The blessing of purpose, a blessing of significance, the blessing blessing of eternal inheritance and the greatest blessing of all, the blessing of knowing God as God because of Christ. Because of Christ. And so in Christ, we get to know God and we get to make him known. And so the Bible is saying this. 
What more could you ever want? What more could you ever want? Let's pray. Without filling this silence with too many words, I want to give you an opportunity to meditate and reflect on what you've heard. The Lord is stirring your heart. He's tugging. And he's asking you to return. What is that sin? What is that distraction? What is that idolatry that you've hidden in the corner of your little room, house, your mind, your heart, whatever it is? That God is calling us to do away with our old practices and come back to him. Because when we come back to him, when we repent, when we surrender, and it's not about just changing things in your life, but it's about surrendering your life to him. All the messiness, all the brokenness, all that's just so gross about who you are, about who I am. God's saying, give that to me and I will renew it. Don't come to him, try to make yourself clean and, and say, I'm better now, so this, so therefore now you can take me. No, 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 God, you say he, he wants our glorious ruin. That mess, bring it to him. He will renew you. But that gateway of coming to him is through repentance. Okay? So let's go ahead and pray. And then we'll go into our final song.